This is the Singer's Tension Podcast, the podcast by singers about singing for singers. Welcome to the Singer's Tension Podcast. My name is Jordan Erickson, and I'm here today with Lindsay Fromain, a Canadian mezzo-soprano who did her undergrad and opera diploma at the University of Toronto and is now a member of the COC Chorus, a mentor with Opera InReach, and is freelancing in Toronto as a chamber art song and opera singer while also teaching privately. So I have Lindsay with me here today to talk about the transition of a singer from student into the professional world. Art and the pursuit of artistic voice are endeavors only for the resilient. While some genres have clear right and wrong guidelines, the successful people in these forms must still find their individualism within the confines of the style. And other genres are void of clear boundaries, offering both endless choice and potentially paralyzing fear of how overwhelming the choices are. Inevitably, every artist must face the transition from student to professional. Classical music, of which we focus on voice here, is no different. In fact, it is commonly told to students of classical voice that their career will be a long journey, perhaps not taking off until closer to their 30s. The singers will place suffocating expectations on themselves to hit specific landmarks in order to stay on track for their dream career, adopting ideas that to deviate in any way from the financially independent singer would be a mark of failure. What does a singer's life look like in reality? And how do we forge a life for ourselves that is true to our dreams and gives us validation even when that life may not look exactly as we planned? So welcome, Lindsay, to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. That was beautiful. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I could get all that on a t-shirt and wear it every day. <laughs> it would, no one would read it. <laughs> so Lindsay, I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. It's obviously one that is you know, passionate to both of us. And the first thing and most important to, to start this off is what were your expectations of how your career would progress after you graduated from the U of T? Yeah, so I graduated from the opera school in 2016. So it's been about four or five school years since I've been out of school. And my expectations were incredibly rigid and unforgiving. And it was a lot of YAP auditions for the Canadian houses, uh, some success, but not as much as I expected. And that was ex almost exclusively the pressure that I put on myself. So that was um, a very firm, yeah, rigid, it's got to be one way, this way or the highway. And then when it didn't work out, it was devastating. It was truly devastating that my dreams and goals, I'm a very goal-oriented person, that it just wasn't happening. So uh, resulted in a pivot and choosing a life and instead of a career, which has worked out for me really well. Mm -hmm. And for anyone listening that isn't you know, submersed in the offer world, a YAP is a young artist program that usually is the bridge between a university program and a professional house. It's like a, a training program for opera singers. 
Um, when you were idealizing this transition, this road for yourself, did you have an idea in mind of where your income was going to be coming from as you got into these yaps or didn't? And did you say, okay, I'm going to give myself a year or two years or six months to get into these programs? Yeah, I never really gave myself timelines like that. It was, um, I just, just kept going back. Like I just kept trying and if I got to know, okay, well I'll try next year and always felt very energized in the fall when the auditions were announced on websites or on other casting call websites, that kind of thing. Uh, and I remember one fall when I did not feel energized and then I just didn't audition for anyone. And that was oddly freeing because it was the first time that I had allowed myself to say no and to not give in to that pressure because when it's and it's not like anyone was telling me to do it no one can force you to go but when you see all of your peers going and you just kind of see your immediate peer group of whom you have great respect doing it it's it's kind of hard not to be influenced by that and then when you see you know these great canadian singers who they've all gone through these training programs and you think well i want to be like them so i have to do this that a must ultimately lead to b that that was my mindset with it so to answer your question it was never really uh with firm it's got to be in five years or i'm out because i knew that i had to make money i did move back with my parents for a time and i was still teaching um taking a lot of oratorio so uh, performing sacred music with orchestras uh a lot of that kind of quick turnover work because with opera it's longer contracts uh whereas with oratorio you could rehearse and perform the work in the same day so you show up to rehearsal and get paid in the same day and that appealed to me a lot so that's why i started uh, really uh, introducing and reintroducing myself to ensembles in Toronto, to conductors in Toronto, because I knew that that kind of work, the turnover was faster. And I also love the music. Like if I could sing Messiah every year for like the rest of my life, I would just absolutely love that. <laughs> that would just be so great. Um, yeah. And, and I just knew I had to make money. So I started teaching and then uh, I am one of the lucky ones that find it really creative and fulfilling and especially working with uh, very little people between grades one and five, which is very creative and a daily test of patience, <laughs> particularly <laughs> yes. during remote learning. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point that for some teaching is not fulfilling and you come out of school with just an education as a performer and you think, okay, well, I'm only qualified to be a teacher, but I really don't like it. <laughs> and so I think there isn't enough time spent by young singers in, in university, or even if they're not in university, this could be for any genre, but they know that they want to put in the time to try and make a career of this, but that is it. It is time and you still have bills to pay during that time. So where is your income coming from if you don't have like trust fund parents that are behind you every step of the way? And for myself, I finished university and I knew that I wanted to go into young artist program or do the whole auditioning thing. And so I was living in New York and I finished my training and I came back to Montreal and the auditions were so expensive. 
And you don't just have auditions, you have the rehearsals with the accompanist and any recordings you need to do as well. So there might be an audio engineer involved. And I was like, well, I, I really need a job. And I had worked for studios as a teacher before, but they really, really underpay teachers in general, most studios do. So it's not sufficient and you don't have a lot of students at once. So I ended up taking a nine to five job that did pay well, but then was completely exhausted at the end of every day and didn't feel like I could practice to the same capacity and prepare for these auditions. So it was a really hard rude awakening of, I need to be financially independent. I didn't have money coming from parents or anything. I also have bills to pay and auditions to pay for, and I'm trying to be a performer but realistically, this just became a lot harder than when you're in school and you just practice every day and, you know, pay your tuition, maybe of scholarships. Yeah, I relate to that a lot. Um, I served for a long time, almost every summer, and uh, worked at a, a chain restaurant in Toronto when I was in the opera school. And you're closing the restaurant at one in the morning. And for some reason, I always had like 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. lessons on Monday mornings. Like for some reason, the universe chose me every year. <laughs> and my teachers, I studied with um, Jean McPhail from my undergrad and Wendy Nielsen in the opera school. And they just like to get going early. So that was very challenging when I was serving. And yeah, I, I absolutely had jobs like that because that financial independence like my parents are incredibly supportive but they're also reasonable people and my dad's side of the family in particular they're all musicians so they're we all have had to go through our share of uh i'll call it suffering in a way <laughs> that as much as the vocation that we chose is so fulfilling it's uh it's very it's very challenging to pay bills exclusively with singing and it's frankly if if i'm you know going through my income it's not possible particularly now uh in the during the covid pandemic but even before there were there's months that go by where there's no work and that's just the reality of it that there there'll be you know two or three months that go by and there are no gigs so had i not been teaching there's no way that I'd be able to live in Toronto, which is incredibly expensive, and to even consider having personal goals because a lot of goals require money, frankly. So it's, I, I've, I've always been just really keen to teach and to pursue other things because those experiences, not only do they put money in the bank, but they also inform your singing because it's those varied life experiences and all the people that you come into contact with with teaching that just make you a fuller person that make your life full but then it also makes your art more interesting because you have more references to call upon yeah definitely and i think if i was to go back in time to when i was in those last years of school i would pay more attention to if i could save money as you know, people save an emergency fund in case they lose their job. But what about saving this fund for that first year outside of university that you could have a nest egg put aside to pay for your auditions, pay for your recordings? Uh, because once you're out of school, all that comes at you so fast and you're like, oh my goodness, I have all these bills all of a sudden. And nobody ever said, hey, if you're going to do all these auditions after you're done school, you should probably think about how you're going to pay for them. No one said that to me. I can't believe it was never said. 
Yeah, and there are grants available for that. Like there is funding available in Canada that, that you can, albeit very conditional funding in a lot of cases. But uh, you're totally right. It's kind of something that everybody knows, but many unspoken rules that kind of go around those university halls. And yeah, it's, it's incredibly expensive. And when I left school, I still felt a lot of pressure to continue with lessons really regularly. And the lessons don't feel free anymore <laughs> once you graduate. Cause it's like, oh, I have to actually send an e-transfer af after this lesson. It's not just handled in the summer or in the fall before the school year starts. So yeah, that's challenging too. And uh, you feel it, <laughs> you like really feel it. <laughs> when you're not in school anymore and then there's lessons and then coachings with the pianist too and as you say okay you want to you know make some demos then that's more people you have to pay but i do think one of the silver linings from this pandemic is that uh singers are forced to do their own tapes like our tapes nice their own uh, videos uh to send and to distribute for audition season that they've had to do it really by them by ourselves for the first time it's uh because we've never actually been asked to do that before you touched on this a little bit but at what point did you realize in the transition from school to professional life that it wasn't going the way you expected when did you really clue into that and what emotions did that bring up for you so I, I'm almost certain it was 2017 when it happened. And it's one of those moments in your life where you remember exactly where you are. Uh, and I know I was at my parents' house and laying on the bed because I had just gotten told no from every audition I did that fall. Like every single one said, we had so many incredible candidates this year, but <laughs> even then that was about seven times. And I was just, absolutely defeated and it was so devastating and i'm just saying to myself you know for the first time ever i'm really unsure if i'm cut out for this but sometimes when life gives you two paths you have to forge a third and that was a really painful lesson for me to learn and that's when i started teaching more and when i started teaching in the private system in ontario so teaching in private schools because i'm not an ontario certified teacher but based on my position i don't need to be because i teach piano and voice privately i'm i don't write report cards or things of that nature so that means that i'm very i'm i'm a very specialized person obviously but uh in the private system they treat me as such and that was the year that I got my first private school job and then found the awesome job that I have at the Holy Trinity School. And that led me to um, taking those feelings of disappointment, failure, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough for this. Um, uh, yeah, di just disappointment uh, and just turning that into grit turning that into, okay, so that got really bad. Frankly, it can only get better from here. <laughs> it can only go up. So that was a, a, a very dark time, which ultimately turned into hope and grit and resilience. Yeah, I, that's a really good point about bringing up thoughts of, is this actually for me? Because your parents can say to you a million and one times that, it's a really hard path. It's a really hard path, but it's your dream. So you have to walk it. I don't 
I would never tell someone don't do it because it's hard. I would say you may just have to, as you said, pivot a little bit and create something for yourself that doesn't look exactly the way you envisioned it. But I would never say don't go for it. And I remember I was at a singing uh, week long workshop kind of thing in New York. And this mom had brought her daughter to watch all of us perform. And she came up to me after and was like, yeah, my daughter really wants to go to uh, Juilliard for musical theater. Um, and her daughter was very good. So it definitely could happen for her. And she asked me in the bathroom, she says, do you think that my daughter could get work? Like, will she have a job after she graduates? And I just looked at her and I was like, honestly, if you, if she is resilient and thinks of, you know, outside the box, then it's very possible, but I'm not going to say that it's easy. And uh, just for a, a parent to ask you that you want to say, well, no, not really, because most of us don't, but it is possible. So I would never tell someone not to go for it, but then you graduate and maybe things don't happen right away. And you do need to get some kind of a job and it doesn't need to be teaching. But I hear this all the time from my singing friends that if they even think about getting maybe a secondary degree, a diploma or something in something else that they could have a backup plan, like for music therapy um, or psychology, whatever, they feel like they have failed or that all of the work they've put in up to that point was not for anything. And like it makes them less of a musician because they chose to diversify themselves. And I think when we use the word diverse as a musician, we associate it with performers and their ability to be fluent in multiple styles, in musical theater, sacred, operatic, ensemble, etc. However, a diverse musician in Canada in 2020, I think would be more accurately depicted as the person whose portfolio is not limited to singing. And so that's really interesting because you fit that. And what does your portfolio currently look like? Yeah, that is such an important point of uh, pursuing other things. It, it doesn't make you a sellout. And that was something that I heard quite a bit uh, in my early exposure to music as a student. And I just never really got it because I said like, oh, but they, they seem so happy and busy and their life is so full and they get to meet all these wonderful people where all they want to do is make art and help people. Like I'd never really understood it, but I just knew it was bad. So when people say, oh, I'll have a backup plan. I always say, well, why can't you do both at the same time? Because I'm still teaching and I'll be blasting out of the school into an Uber to an audition or to a rehearsal or whatever. So it's a very busy life and you have to be really organized and uh, well-fed and hydrated. <laughs> but otherwise it's, um, it's totally possible. And I think you can have more than one dream and still be an integral artist. But uh, in terms of what my profile currently looks like, I am a freelance opera singer, mezzo-soprano, and I represent myself. So that means I have to, I'm the one who's finding my own work too. Uh, I teach privately in, uh, uh, I teach privately in a school in Richmond Hill, private voice and piano lessons, and which is a teaching and an administrative role. So I get to flex both of those muscles, which is really fun and uh, benefits my life because of like taxes and <laughs> all of these fun adult things. 
I'm a mentor with Opera and Reach, and our mandate is to examine the civic impact of opera through diversity, representation. We have our new Hone project coming out. You can learn all those things on operareach.com. It's, it's brand new and super exciting. And during the COVID pandemic, I also decided to expand my business because I do consider myself as a business uh, to include public speaking, which I go to young artist programs that we talked about before and uh, studios and universities and to wonderful podcasts like yourself and to talk about just the, just really the unspoken things uh, that I would like to shine a light on, like having more than one job and still being an artist or just how to manage social media and do you need a website and just things like that, that from my experience, either no one talked about or it wasn't talked about enough. And it's just something that I would like to give a little bit more voice to because when we talk about things or when we write them down, it makes it real. And a lot of the times we say, oh, it's not actually bad, as bad as I thought it was. That it's, oh, well, that seems kind of reasonable after all. And also I'm coming in as a, a person who is 30 slash under 30 and that students can relate to a little bit more. So that is my primary philosophy is to serve others and through the speaking. Uh, oh, pro tip, expanding a business during COVID is so scary. <laughs> it is just like, it is wild. But I found it so fulfilling because I get to connect with these young people who are so excited and afraid and nervous and have all of these great ideas. And I'm just sort of, this person on the outside just going, well, yeah, why don't you just try it and see what happens? So it's yeah. a, it's a full life still, and I'm very thankful for it. And just, I'm one of the lucky ones who I'm just still able to make it all work and still frankly feed and house myself during the pandemic. So incredibly thankful for that, for, uh, being a, choosing to be a profile artist indeed. Yeah. And there is so much to be thankful there for there, as you said, but I think it's not really luck that has enabled you to do everything. I think you've done a very good job of asking yourself, what is my personal philosophy? And a lot of us don't do that. We just know that we love singing and we want to do it at all costs. And so you sacrifice a lot in time, money, your heart, maybe some self-confidence, a lot of self-confidence. <laughs> and, and so you get to the end of your training and you have a very specific idea as you and I both did of what is success. And if I don't fit into that box, then I have failed. But I, if there's one thing I could tell young singers that want to make it in any style, you know, if they're singer songwriters or opera singers, whatever, is that you always have permission to ask yourself, am I happy with this idea of success still? Is this, this dream that I'm pursuing actually making me happy? Or am I just pursuing it because I've already put so much into it? And I know for myself to circle back that there was something making me very, very unhappy with the opera world and, and singing. And just, as you said, it's like a moment you always remember because it's very clear that something shifted for you. And I was, I found this book in one of those tree fort uh, book things, you know, you're walking down the street. I don't know if they do this in Toronto, wow. 
I was walking home from the gym and I always look to see what's in there. And there was this book called Gestalt Therapy. And it's really interesting if you've never heard of it. So this, this man, he, he has this idea of dissecting your subconscious by looking at your dreams and playing the role of everything in your dream. So in the book, I always remember this one example, a woman goes on stage and she says she has a stream of a train going super fast through the desert. And he says, okay, so be the train. She says, I am the train. I work really hard. I go really fast, but I don't get anywhere. And, you know, she has this like, big epiphany of what her subconscious is telling her. I can't for the life of me remember what the dream was that I had, but I know the result was that I realized that I had this idea that the only way I would be happy is if I was on stage making all my money from performing. And I dug a little bit deeper and realized subconsciously it was coming from, you know, the need to prove to my parents that it wasn't that hard, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot there. But then I realized, okay, I'm not actually happy. I'm not happy. This is killing me. I'm working a nine to five. I'm exhausted. Uh, what would make me happy? And, and so there was a big pivot for me that I realized I want to be able to have a reliable paycheck, but I also want to feel rewarded. And I love working with adults that are serious about their, their voice. And could I make something? Could I build something there? And then I spoke to two entrepreneurs in my family and, you know, hashed it out. And the end goal was to be running a studio that enabled other teachers to make what they deserve to make what I deserve to make and then have time to perform. And two years later, I had time to perform. And just before COVID, we were doing a, a musical here in Montreal. And so it was a huge pivot. And there was a little bit of like a death of a dream there or an idea of a dream. But in order to adopt something that actually was genuine to me, to me and not just the idea of success that society had made me think was what I wanted. Yeah, and I think that one of the big lessons that many people are learning, or from what I heard you say, was that we're always allowed to change our mind. And that is applicable for all parts of our life. And, you know, if I was, if I think of who I was in 2017 and on a personal level and on a professional level, what my goals were for each of those things, had I not chosen to change my life, my mind, my life would look very different and I would be very unhappy. So I'm glad that I allowed myself to be influenced by others. And you talk about the influence of your parents and mine are, you know, I'm thankful that my parents are, um, smart, compassionate and reasonable people <laughs> because they believed in me so fiercely, especially when I didn't. And also my teachers believed in me so fiercely. Um, and I say fiercely because there were times it was ferocious when they're like, you just need to do it. Like just <laughs> try. And I'm like, oh, so weird. but they just so believed in me and thankful to have, um, influences in my family of music and business res uh, respectfully and respectively. And it's, that has been a huge game changer for me. And I recognize that that is a privilege that I carry, but it's now what I'm trying to do with that is give it back is sort of what I've taken, what I've interpreted um, is just to help give that back. And yeah, that you are allowed to change your mind. And this gives us a time to reflect and see, okay, is music actually what I want to do? Because there's been so many people who've decided during this time to say, you know what, I'm going to try something else. I'm going to go back to school and get that degree in, you know, English, for example, that I've always wanted to have or to, 
be uh, write that short story I always wanted to write and see what happens because we've been given the gift of time for the first time in a long time for speaking for myself that I'm actually like home <laughs> on a weekend what it's a Sunday mm. night that we're recording this but it's yeah very bizarre that I'm not exhausted as you say that you know I actually am able to uh, give out part of myself at, at this time of the week is a very new experience for me still. I'm still like grappling with it months later. So it's, it's wild, but um, yeah, changing your mind and allowing yourself to be influenced by others. Yeah. And that's not to say that everyone will be in a position where they need to do something besides performing. There are some people that will 100% believe, no, I have to only perform. That's really where my heart is solely. And so then it's, it's just a case of, okay, what does diversity look in that situation? I mean, you could be an opera singer and then go and look at what if I did chorus work or what if I tried musical theater? And if you're not either of those styles, you're more an indie or a pop singer, then it's like, okay, well, what about trying small live shows? Does karaoke make you feel rewarded? You know, do you, do you want to join a quartet? These things that, that make us happy are not always massive stages or, or huge accolades. If music is really what makes you happy, then in what capacity do you need to have it in your life? It's just a reworking of basically your personal philosophy, as we said earlier, and what makes you happy. Absolutely. That's so well said. And I know that we both know people who say, no, I don't want to teach. I don't want to do that stuff. I only want to do this. And I have nothing but the utmost respect because you have to be so brave to want it that badly. And I, not to say that if you do other things, you don't want it. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is for those who it's very streamlined and it's very, this is what I need to do to fill me up. This is what I need. And I think that's incredible. And I think to the, to those who have that attitude that a doing other things doesn't make you less than of anything and that b any musical experience that accompanies that that's just like the best professional development opportunities there are like me standing at the wings of the four season center in toronto watching tamara wilson sing turn dot is the like a master class an absolute master class because she just she just makes it look easy like it she makes it seem seem like she's singing karaoke like it's just so effortless and i'm just staring at her in the wings going like like frankly like kind of creepy i'm just staring at her but it's like how are you doing that how do you do that and her disdemona and otella was like unreal and again that same master class that i got to see over and over and over i mean not that those are not exactly roles for me, <laughs> but in the act of singing, it, that's the professional development that, yeah, this is why he came here to do that, to be exposed to great singing, not just great singers, but to be exposed to great singing so that I can take a little nugget away and have it inform my singing and that'll just apply to me in a different way. But yeah, I just, I really hope that like, just for people who want to perform, do that. But just allow yourself to be influenced by other experiences because really it just it only makes you happier if you want to be a solo singer then like do a barbershop quartet because also barbershop quartets are so difficult <laughs> it's like one on a part singing takes like five years off my life every time i do it it's so stressful being an inner part 
<laughs> and doing that because you control if it's major or minor. Like that power is in your hands and it's, and I trip on it in a big way. <laughs> totally. And what is your advice on how to find work after graduation? I would say, what is my advice on finding work after graduation? Staying in touch with people, stay in touch that if you do a gig with Maestro Jones, as an example, I don't know who that is, but as a person, uh, say, hey, Maestro, maybe not in those words, but hey, Maestro, love that, you know, let's keep in touch, like actually follow up after the performance and then six months later say, hey, Maestro, hey, love that performance that we did um, a few months ago. Here's what I've been up to. Not necessarily like um, a send all newsletter kind of thing, but actually reaching out to people independently because that makes them feel special and they know what's intended for them. And it tells them that you're genuinely interested. And a lot of that is kind of operating like a business and treating the art of singing as a business, which is something that is making more and more sense to me and something that I'm really interested in learning in and operating as. So yeah, just my, my greatest piece of advice is stay in touch because that can lead to you're that conductor's go-to person in Toronto or if you're willing to travel even better so just staying in touch and keeping those connections and realizing that like they're people and that they like relationships too and that they like friends and it's not just about the work it is about the people because there's amazing people in this industry if you just choose to get to know them so it's really about um connections not just about the music oh yeah networking is such a massive part of being an artist uh which sucks for introverted artists because then it really feels like a push uh but it's absolutely essential whether you work in arts admin or as a performer or, or someone who plays in an orchestra you need to learn the art of conversation uh, so if you've never practiced just going up to a stranger and starting a conversation that's a good you should do that <laughs> you should try doing that and i've always just been that weirdo that like five years old at a carnival and like talking to the person who you, you know like the games at the carnivals where you can like throw the darts at the balloons and you like win a prize i would like talk to those people at five years old to be like do you like your job my parents are like not now and <laughs> usher me away because i've just always been a huge connection person and Yes, I certainly need time to, because if you're extroverted, it doesn't necessarily mean you're always outgoing. So I definitely need time to make sure that my cup is filled, and which involves like a lot of reality television and eating junk food. And that's like what makes me feel good and gives me the time that I need to be able to give it back to the people that I care about. So yeah, it, it is, I, I can appreciate that it's challenging for um, introverted folks, but just remembering that like no one's out to get you or very few are and I'm learning more and more that there's so many more good people than there are bad and that in you know or at least in my immediate circle or who I choose to keep in my circle that there's so many more good people than bad and people just want to connect and make music and share art and make this beautiful thing that not everybody gets to do so and for even yourself with your very diverse portfolio of things that you're doing, when you hit periods of stasis, what do they look like for you? I also took COVID as an opportunity to 
like have hobbies. Wow. <laughs> Which I know. It's been like, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm like, oh, I like crocheted all these things. Like, no, it's very like humble. I'm not, I am not a crafty person. I'm like, I sing pretty, but like in terms of like the hand making things of nothing, it's like challenging, but, but I love cooking. I love baking. Um, like I, I knit a little bit as a kid. So like now I'm getting back into that, uh, reading for leisure. So just making sure that, um, like personally I'm feeling good because happy artists make happy art, happy artists make happy, make good art I would say or make art that they can stand behind when they're happier that's something Sandra Rabinowski taught us in a master class in the opera school and that really stuck with me um but what does it look like like just making sure that the chops are up practice for a half hour a day just lip trills and just doing really basic stuff so that you might not be entering that growth zone for singing or for your music making but you are in the maintenance zone because this will be over and we will need to be vocally in shape and, and physically in shape. I have enough space in my home to exercise and there's space around me where I can, you know, make sure that I'm physically well. But it doesn't always look like I'm practicing for two hours a day. I would be lying if I said that. And, you know, it's, it's tough too. Like I'm a very goal oriented person. So I'll practice more if a gig is coming up. And since there really isn't anything, I said, okay, well just make sure vocally I'm feeling good and do something that makes me happy and make sure that, you know, my physical health is where it needs to be so that I'm still feeling good and can maintain my schedule because I'm, I'm still teaching full time. Like even in periods of stasis, like I'm still teaching 40 hours a week. That kind of is my quiet time which is like kind of weird, but that's just, that's just a regular thing. That's just what my life looks like. So it's, it's being filled with something and life looks like that sometimes, like not a lot of singing, but then personally it's really full and vice versa. So I'm kind of treating it as one of those times, like, Hey, not a lot of singing, but I'm still an artist. Everything's cool. I still respect myself as an artist, but I'm just going to teach middle C for 40 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> which is very cute and very fun. So one of the questions I like to ask everyone who comes on the show is what is the best singing advice? It could be technique or more philosophy of being a singer, whatever comes to mind, best advice that you've ever received. I would say the best advice I ever received came from Tom Diamond. And he was the first one who ever introduced the idea to me of having a philosophy of music making like what is your philosophy what or another way of asking that is what is your why mm. and that has been incredibly informative and writing it down because when you write it down it makes it real because you can actually like see it and it's outside of your brain so that's that was very significant because I saw that when my life started to look different than how I had initially planned it, my philosophy remained the same. I was doing those, those things, those different things for the same fundamental reason. And that's something that's really, even though I'm like, oh my gosh, like can't believe I'm doing this, but okay, it's still for this reason. And part of that is you don't have to tell anybody. That is only for you, unless you wanna, like tweet it, do you, but 
you know, my boundaries say that that's just for me and I'll show that and I'll prove that by doing these things and by doing these things in a way that is um, integral to me and is in a way that's very honest and authentic to me right now, which can change. That really nicely actually summarizes kind of a lot of what we've said about what makes you happy and permission to question it and to reevaluate those things. Because at the end of the day, if, if your life looks nothing like what you thought it would, but what you're doing feeds into your why, you won't feel like a failure. You won't feel like you're living for the future and, and you can't wait for another five years to pass. So you're doing what you want to be doing. Just, it, it becomes more about, I have a reason for what I do that is beyond needing money and accolades from people. It's to who I am and to what is important to me. And then that way you don't lose yourself as a person if you could no longer sing, if you woke up and you no longer had the ability to sing, you would still have a why of what is important to you and you could find ways to fill that why. And if you don't have it and you're just pushing forward as, as a career, as a singer, then as Sandra Dronowski said, you're probably not a happy singer. <laughs> you're probably feeling a lot of obligation and pressure and you can't make beautiful art from obligation and pressure. Yeah, or it's it certainly doesn't feel good and... I think that when we stop and challenge ideas or we challenge the patterns that we've chosen, it's very painful. I sort of think it's like, it kind of takes like a crowbar to your sternum and it's got to like, oh, you have to like open it right away. And that's a very difficult thing to do, particularly when we have to look a certain way and everything has to be really gathered. And like, and it's also that kind of freelance mentality. It's like, no one can know that I'm going through this or that, um, that anything is really wrong that could be health emotional vocally whatever because that makes me less hireable than another singer and it's that and it's totally a thing and something that i talk about a lot that it's something that we all experience at some point i'm not going to tell anybody that i'm sick or that i'm going through this thing because they can't know that i'm that i would be indisposed and like that's kind of messed up in my opinion now just challenging those patterns though, I think it's really important because that only leads to growth and that only leads to making different choices that lead to a fuller life because choosing a life for me is far more interesting and fulfilling than choosing a job or choosing a career. Because singing is still a job. It's still a job, you gotta show up, you gotta be prepared, you get in trouble if you're not prepared, you get paid for it, that's like a J-O-B. But choosing a life for me is far more interesting. Yeah, and permission to shake up what that looks like beyond what the people what the people on Instagram are toting with their, you know, like perfect lives. It's not gonna look like that. It's gonna be perfect for you and maybe not as Instagrammable, but it doesn't need to be. Look, hey, the way I was leading my life this weekend, I was like, ooh, this does not belong on the internet. Like <laughs> Cause it's like, <laughs> oh no, just like sweatpants and like just like lazy days where I'm just like, Ooh, like this is not a glamorous moment. Like, but, but it's just like, Hey, you know what? It's a weekend. I worked really hard this week. I'm going to take it easy. And, and yeah, as you say, like not every moment of your life is going to be really Instagrammable and that just 
trying to be as authentic with yourself as possible. And then you're also going to find like as humans that you're, you're living a pattern a certain way that feels really comfortable and feels really safe. And then you go, Oh my God, like, no, this is not working because something's just like blown up or I'm not getting the result that I want. And as you said so well, it's like, yeah, we have to just shake it up. And, and my thing is always like, I'm going to try this new thing, but like, what is the worst thing that could happen? have and this little voice inside of us saying like oh but you can so do that and I think I'm just listening to that voice like more and more well thank you so much Lindsay for coming on the podcast there's so much useful information it was a pleasure to have you for having me this is great